0: It's wonderful to be able to be back together again today and to be able to look into the Word of God. I'm excited about the message that I'm going to be bringing to you in the sense that I believe it's very important and very significant and very relevant to our lives, particularly in the times that we're living. Today, I'm wanting to talk to you about God's prophetic timetable, just a little bit about it, and to try and establish where we may be placed in the scope of that timetable but before we get into the word of god let's just open and pray father thank you that we have your word thank you father that in your word you tell us of things that are yet to come thank you father that we can be forewarned and as a result we can be prepared and so i ask you today Lord, that by your Spirit, you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to be able to see something about what you have said concerning that which lies ahead in the world. So we thank you for this, Father. We thank you for the help of your Spirit today as we look into your Word. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10, it says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Obviously, that is God himself speaking. And this is the kind of God that we serve. We serve a God who says that he makes known the end from the beginning. In other words, he foretells the things that are going to happen. And he says that his purpose will stand and that he will do all that he pleases. You see, God wants his people to know what is coming. He wants us to know what we're going to go through. He wants us to know where things are headed. He also wants us to know that history is under his control and that no matter what happens, he will have the final say. Let's ask a question at the very beginning here. How does God make known the end from the beginning? How does he do this? Well, Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 tells us. This is what it says there. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Do you know that right here, I hold in my hand... A record of the words of the prophets. And therefore in this book, a revelation that God has given to us of what is going to take place right through to the very end of this age and even beyond. This is the most incredible book. This book, which we call the Bible. The most incredible book because it doesn't just tell us how we got to where we are and how God has responded to things that have taken place. But it also reveals to us things that are going to happen. It's a prophetic book. This is not just history, but it's also prophecy. It doesn't just speak to what's happened in the past. It also speaks to what's going to happen in the future. And yet I think sometimes we as believers ignore the fact that there is prophecy in this book. That God, through this book, gives us insight and foresight into what is going to take place. And so today, this is what we want to look at a little bit. Through the prophecy of Scripture, we can gain insight into God's prophetic timetable and where we stand in it. And as a result, through the prophecy of Scripture, we can be like the sons of Issachar were. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and verse 32, that the sons of Issachar understood the times in which they lived... And therefore they knew what they needed to do in them. And I believe that God wants us as His people to understand the times in which we're living and therefore be able to also understand what we need to be doing in them. And this is why today I want to have a look at one of the greatest prophetic passages that we have in the Bible. It's Matthew 24. We're not going to be able to read the whole thing. We're going to read just a portion of it. And as we do so, I want to ask a question. Where do we stand in God's prophetic timetable as it is revealed in this passage? And once we've answered that question, I want to ask another question and answer another question. What do we as God's people need to do in the light of that understanding? So let's have a look at what the Lord Jesus said would happen in the days before the consummation of this age. Matthew chapter 24, let's start in verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. After this, the Lord goes on and He begins to talk about the abomination that causes desolation and the Great Tribulation. We don't have time to read that part as He moves towards His return and the day of the Lord. But let's have a look at this passage that we've read a little bit more closely. We see that it starts, this whole discourse starts, with the apostles asking two questions. Firstly, the question, when will this happen? When they ask that question, they're referring to the destruction of the temple that Jesus had just been telling them would take place. And we see that the Lord didn't seem to answer or pay any attention to that question. It seems like he ignores it, and he just moves straight on to answering the second question, which is, What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And we can see that this is clearly the focus of Jesus' attention as he begins this discourse. Because he mentions the end of the age twice just in this passage that we read. We see that the Lord begins his answer to the question that was posed by the apostles by saying in verse 4 and 5, Watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming i am the messiah and will deceive many i believe it's very significant that this would be how he would start his answer there's no doubt from what we see in this passage and in this entire discourse that deception is going to be one of the great hallmarks of the last days before the consummation of this age in fact The Lord mentions this matter of deception three times in this discourse. It's the only thing He mentions three times in this discourse. There's nothing else, whether it be famine, wars, uh, earthquakes, or anything else. He does not mention it as much as He talks about or mentions this matter of deception. It's also the only thing that He warns us to be on our guard against. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against deception. In verse 24, which we didn't read, which is a bit further down in this discourse, he repeated this warning and said, See, I have warned you ahead of time. And he was referring to deception, great deception. You see, deception is going to be one of the great signs that the end of the age is drawing near. An increase in deception. The Lord then continues on in verse 6 through to verse 8. Let me just read it again. He says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then he ends by saying, All these are the beginning of the birth pains. These things that we're just reading here that are described in this little passage here, They've been around for some time. I mean, all we have to do is look back in history and we will see that these things have been around. It's not like earthquakes are a new thing to just this generation, that wars are a new thing, that even pestilences are a new thing. Pandemics like we've been going through, they're not a new thing. They've been around. If you look at history, you will see that from time to time they have been around and they have cropped up. Famines have been something that have been around. And so all of these things that are described here in these verses have been around for some time. If we were to look back just a hundred years or so, we would see that in the space of a few years, Europe went through a world war, World War I, and within a very short period after that, just a matter of a year or so, a pandemic hit, the Spanish flu, which ended up in the death of 50 million people. Now if you combine the deaths between uh, World War I and and that uh, pandemic, millions and millions died in the world just in a period of a few years. I wonder what the Christians back then thought about the end of the age or how close they were to the end of the age. You see, I think that we've made a mistake when we've looked at natural things, things that are occurring in nature, whether it be earthquakes whether it be pestilences, whether it be famines, and even at wars and rumors of wars, when we've looked at these things and we've seen them in the world and we've thought this is the sign of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the imminent end of this age. Because when we look here, what we see is the Lord said, these are the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, he said, this is just the start of the the contraction of creation that will bring forth the end of the age. So we need to remember this and be very clear in our minds that when we see things that are happening like this pandemic that we've been going through, that does not necessarily mean that the end of the age is right at hand, that we're standing on the very brink of it. But what it does tell us is that it's coming. Because when a woman goes into labor and those, the first contractions begin to happen, they may not be that intense. And they may be fairly far apart, but no matter how uh, mild they may be or how far apart they may be, we know that that baby is coming. And so when we see these things in the world, it doesn't necessarily tell us that the end is imminent, but what it does tell us is that the end is coming and that we have moved into this period where the end will ultimately be birthed. Let's move on because it's really in the next part of this passage that we begin to see signs that the Lord told us that I believe really point towards the, the, the nearness of the Lord's return, the nearness of the coming of the, of the end of the age. And you'll see then the next verses, verses 9 to 14, the Lord shifts his focus from wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilences, and he moves them to something else. Let's just read it, verse 9 to 14, and we'll see what I'm talking about. This is what he said. He said, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Notice he says, then the end will come. So when we look at this passage here, what we see is we see the Lord describing a period of time that's going to be characterized by four main things. Number one, it's going to be characterized by a great falling away from the true faith that has been handed down to us by the apostles. Number two, it's going to be characterized by a persecution of the steadfast saints. Number three, an increase in wickedness in the world. Number four, the preaching of the gospel in all nations And we have to presume that it will be done by those who remain steadfast in the midst of all that is going on. So those are the four things that characterize this period of time that the Lord is describing to us. We see that in this period of time, there are going to be three things that the church is going to have to deal with. Number one, the church is going to have to deal with persecution, hatred and betrayal, even by those whom we consider to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We see the church is also going to have to deal with martyrdom. We see that the church is going to have to deal with an abundance of false prophets in the world that are going to be competing, one could say, for the attention or the faith of people. We also see that the church is going to have to deal with a notable increase in wickedness in the world. Okay, so those are the three things that the church during this period is going to be having to deal with then we see that there are three things that we will have to guard against in this period. First of all, the temptation to fear man and the fear of suffering and death. There will be a very real temptation for us as believers to shy away from these things because of the fear that, of, of man, the fear of suffering, the fear of death. Secondly, the widespread deception we will have to be guarding our hearts against that deception. We're going to have to be very aware of the fact that there is going to be an increase exponentially of deception in the world. And the third thing we're going to have to guard against is our love growing cold. That's our love for God and our love for each other as well. The Lord speaks specifically here about this great falling away from the faith. And I want to just mention this uh, briefly here. He says, many will turn away from the faith and the love of many will grow cold. So he's talking here about people that have have had a hot love, let's put it that way, for the Lord, a hot love for people becoming cold, growing cold. It's a process, growing cold in their love. And then he talks about those who will turn away from what they believed in. They'll abandon the faith as it's been handed down to us in Scripture. Do you know that the Apostle Paul also talked about this? In fact, we don't have time to read the references, but Paul said that there would come a time when men would no longer put up with the truth. But rather than listening to the truth, they would turn their ears aside to things that were not true, and they would gather many teachers to tell them what they wanted to hear. He also said that before the coming of the Lord, before our being gathered to Him, before the day of the Lord would come, there would be a great apostasy, a great falling away, a great rebellion against the faith. And he said that this had to happen even before the man of sin, or the one whom we know as the Antichrist um, in Scripture, would appear. This would happen. And we can see from the Lord's words here in Matthew, that there's going to be a combination of three things that are going to cause this falling away. Firstly, the persecution. The persecution that's going to rise against the church is going to cause those who have not really been committed to God, not really committed to the truth, to turn their backs on the truth in order to save their own skin. Secondly, it's going to be caused by this great deception that is going to rise in the world and flood the world. And thirdly, by a great increase in wickedness in the world. Now the question we need to ask ourselves as we come to this point is are we seeing any of these things happening in the world today? We've seen the earthquakes, we've seen the famines, we've seen the pestilences, the wars, the rumors of wars. Those have been going on for many, many years. In fact, they've been going on for thousands of years, almost since the Lord was here. There, if you go through history, you'll see that these things have been happening periodically through history. But when we come to this description of this period that where the Lord's not talking about what's taking place in nature... He's talking about what's taking place amongst people. What's taking place in society. What's taking place in the nations of the world on a human level. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are we seeing the rising of false prophets in the world today? Could we say that we are seeing the rising of many false prophets in the world today? Are we seeing many being led astray by these false prophets? Well, I've been in the church all my life, so that's over 50 years, and certainly I can remember church going back nearly 50 years, and I have never seen in my lifetime the kind of rising of deception, the number of false prophets and false teachers that we see in the, in the world today in the past. I've never seen it. And what I've seen is that really in the last 10 years, this has multiplied exponentially. It's come to another level. And I believe that we are seeing it rising, this level of deception rising in ways that we've never seen before in the church. Have we seen an increase of wickedness in the world? Well, I don't think we have to look too far and I don't think that any of you would be able to sit there and say no. My dad tells a story... Back in the 1950s of how when he was a child, he would go with his family from Bulaway or Plumtree where he lived, and he would go down to the South African coast in in the Cape, and they wouldn't even lock the door of their house. And he said they would come back, never once did they come back, having had a break-in into their house. Today, that would be an impossible thing. Today, has there been an increase of wickedness from back just then in the 1950s, in the matter of 70 years, has there been a great increase in wickedness. Look around what's happening at the world today. In God's eyes, the wickedness in this world is growing exponentially. The Lord said that it's going to be like the days of Noah before he comes. It's going to be like the days of Lot. And I think that we are seeing that happening. Look at what we're seeing in terms of the promiscuity, in the world. The promotion of sexually immoral kinds of lifestyles. The acceptance of those kind of lifestyles. Things have changed even in the last 20 years. We are living in a world where wickedness is rising to unprecedented levels. We're beginning to see what was there in Sodom beginning to fill the whole world. This is where the world is headed. What about a turning away from the faith? Are we seeing that? I believe that we're at the very beginning of seeing it. I believe that we're beginning to see some notable church leaders turning away from the faith. Some of the most notable worship leaders turning away from the faith and saying they no longer believe. I believe it's just at the very beginning of where we're going to see this falling away increasing. What about persecution? Well, we know that the church throughout history has faced persecution. The church has faced martyrdom. And even in the world today, there, is, there are places where there is severe persecution of believers, where many of them are paying with their lives because of their faith. But the Lord specifically says here that this will happen in all nations. That's what He says. He says, All nations will hate you because of Me. So He's speaking here about a worldwide global hatred of the church, and a worldwide global persecution of the church that will be taking place in every nation. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we seeing that? And the answer is no, not yet. But as I look around and as I travel around the world, I've traveled a little bit lately, I see the attitude of people, the attitude of the people in the world towards the church is changing. I see that where there was an element of respect, that respect is disappearing. I see false teachers that have been in the church have brought the way of truth into disrepute. I see governments have lost their respect for the church as a result of things that they've seen taking place in the church. They no longer have any respect even for the moral compass of the church because of the immorality that they've seen in the church. And so there's a shift that is occurring. And this shift is no more noticeable than it is in the Western nations. If we were to think back just 50, 60 years on how the church was perceived in the Western nations to how it is perceived today, we would see that there has been a drastic change that has taken place. And I see this increasing and I see it increasing quickly. I get a sense... That, the things, that things have changed during this period of the pandemic. I get a sense that even in terms of the attitude of unbelievers, the attitude of, of, of secular government towards the church has changed during this pandemic. And that it's not just changed in one nation or two nations, but around the world there's a global shift in terms of attitude towards the church. I don't think that we as the church are going to just go back to what it ha- was happening before. I think that things have been put into motion that are not going to stop. And I believe that we're going to see this uh, attack, we're going to see an animosity towards the church that's going to continue to rise in the years to come. I believe, as I look at this prophetic passage and I look at what's happening around us, and in particular I'm talking about what's happening in human society, I believe that we are standing on the very brink of entering the fullness of this period which we're talking about, which the Lord describes here, and prophesied about 2,000 years ago. Now, it may not be immediate. I think there may be a process in towards this, and I don't know how long that process is going to take. It may move quicker than what we think. It may move a bit slower than what we may think. But one thing is, the ball is rolling. It's moving towards this. And I don't think that we as the church can sit back and take for granted that the way it has been is the way it's going to be. We need to begin to prepare for the things that the Lord has said here in this passage. Why do we need to prepare for it? Because it's not going to be easy times for us who want to serve God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-5, to 5, I just want to read this quickly to you. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes on to tell us why there are going to be terrible times. And he doesn't mention earthquakes, and he doesn't mention famines. He doesn't mention pestilence. He doesn't mention wars. This is what he mentions. He says people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what he says. So when he talks about these terrible times, he's not looking to nature and what's taking place in nature. He's looking to what's happening in the hearts of people. He's looking to what is happening in society. Very similar in the way that the Lord took his focus from what was happening in nature and began to talk about what would be happening in society. You see, we're going to see a falling away during this period. And we don't want to be amongst that number. The Lord said, only those of us who will endure to the end will be saved. Or we could say, we'll come through it victorious. And that's why we need to prepare for this time. It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult for those who are serving God, for those who truly have faith in Jesus Christ and are committed to walking in His ways without compromise. It's going to be exceedingly difficult and increasingly difficult for people to do that. That's why we need to prepare our hearts for what is coming. That's why we cannot have a laxadaisical attitude towards the things of God. We're going to need to choose whom we are going to serve. This is the time for every single one of us in the church to choose right now who we are going to serve. We need to count the cost as the Lord Jesus Christ said. Make sure we're going to be willing to pay the price. Because as the world gets darker, the division between darkness and light is going to become more noticeable. We can see that when it's darkest, lights shine brightest, they are most noticeable. In a dark night, even just a little pen light can be seen from a long way. And so as this increase of wickedness happens, and the world gets darker, those that are light in the world, light in the Lord, are going to be more and more noticeable. And there's not going to be place for people to be sort of in this in-between gray twilight phase. We're either going to have to be on fire for the Lord, a light with the Lord, or we're going to be swept up into being part of the darkness. There's going to be no more room for lukewarmness. What I see as I look at scripture is I see that there is not going to be a place for people to be sitting on the fence. We're coming to a time where people are going to have to decide whom they're going to serve. They're either going to be for the Lord, or they're going to be against Him. There's not going to be people that are in between, oscillating. There's going to be a need for us to make a decision and a commitment to walk either with the Lord or we will fall away. There's not going to be room for compromise, and yet the temptation for compromise, the pressure to compromise, is going to be greater than what we've ever faced in our lifetime. And we need to be prepared to suffer for the faith. This really means that we've got to choose whom we're going to serve. We cannot love this world and the things of this world or even our lives in this world. As the times move on, we are not going to be able to hold on to our lives and hold on to our faith at the same time. We're going to have to say, I want the faith, even if it means losing our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I just want to read a few portions of Scripture quickly to you. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 to 31. This is what Paul writes. And just hear the, the seriousness of his words. He says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, and those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Do you, do you get a, f- a sense of the kind of attitude he's describing there? We need to make sure that we don't allow the cares of this life and the pleasures of this life to consume us, or we become consumed by them. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34 to 35, this is the words of the Lord Jesus, and he's talking here about the end of the age, and this is what he says. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, which speaks of pleasure, drunkenness, which speaks of a loss of the sense of reality, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. In other words, you'll not be ready for it. You'll be taken by surprise. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So the Lord is saying here, we've got to be careful. We've got to guard our hearts, from being so caught up in the pleasures and the cares of this life that we lose touch with the spiritual unseen realities that are revealed to us in Scripture. He carries on in verse 36 of the same chapter, Luke 21, and he says this, Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. He was talking to his apostles when he said these words. And so what we see here is that we need to be people that are alert, and we need to be people of prayer. If we're not living lives, if we're not prayerful in our lives, we're not going to see and understand and be able to sense the things that are taking place in the world. If we're just living by our five senses, we're going to be swept along with the world. But if we will be people of prayer, the Spirit of God will help us to be prepared for everything that will come upon the world and everything that we will have to face. Lastly, or in fact, sorry, second from last, we need to be very committed to one another in love. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, this is what we read. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, For he who promised is faithful. We have a hope, and we know what the end is going to be. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as are in the as, as sorry. Let me read that again. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's talking about the day of the Lord. Lastly, we need to be busy with the Lord's work. So not only do we need to be committed to one another in love, we also need to be busy with the Lord's work. The Great Commission, as we call it today. As Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, he said that we can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Remember what the Lord said? We read it here in verse 14. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you know that the end will not come until the job, which we call the Great Commission, has been completed, until the gospel has been preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations. The end will not come. I believe this. This whole period that we're moving into can be shortened or lengthened by whether we get this job finished why would peter say hastening the coming of the lord you see it's waiting on this job being finished and so as soon as we've got this job finished the end's going to come i believe that every single one of us has a role to play in the work of the lord and we need to be devoted to it in some way in some form We can use our talents, we can use our resources, we can use um, things that we have been given by God to work the works that He's given us to do. To preach the gospel, to support people that are preaching the gospel, and to ensure that the work of the Great Commission is going to be done in these days, no matter what we may face, no matter how tough things may get, no matter how much persecution we may have, The work of the Great Commission has to go on. And I think that we as the church need to realize that there is going to be a price that we have to pay for this to be accomplished, for this work to be fulfilled. And I believe that the Lord is looking for people today who are willing to pay that price to see this work of the Great Commission, this work which the Lord has left us, completed. And so my challenge to you today is to take these points that I've gone through in terms of how we need to be prepared and to practically begin to work them out in your life. Let's not be complacent. Let's not think that things are just going to go back to normal, that things are just going to be what they've always been. We are living in changing times. Things are shifting, and we need to get ready. Let's pray. Father, thank You that through Your Word we are forewarned. Thank You that through Your Word we are made wise For salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we know that what you have said is going to come to pass. You said that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. Lord, they are going to be fulfilled in every detail. So Father, as we sense where we stand in the history of the world, we sense what is coming. I ask that you would help each and every one of us to prepare. I pray that you would help each and every one of us right now, today, to take that step of commitment, making that commitment, choosing whom we're going to serve. I pray, Father, that you would help us to put into our lives and to live out the things that we've been hearing about, the things that we need to do, that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers of what your word says. Help us to take the apostles' exhortations seriously, the Lord's exhortations seriously. We ask this, Father, today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me just quickly say something before I close today. Maybe you have never made a decision to serve Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard about Jesus Christ, but you've never really crossed that line where you said, I'm all in. I'm going to become one of His followers and I'm going to serve Him and I'm going to do what He told us to do. I'm going to become obedient to Him and I'm going to live my life for Him. If you've never done that, we would love for you to be able to contact us at Harvest Church so that we could talk to you about it more and just help you Through the process of walking from where you are today into where God is calling you. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to be saved. And His plan for your life does not involve you coming under or experiencing His wrath. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And so that you could become one of God's holy people. And that's what God wants for you. So I want to encourage you, if you've never made that commitment, or maybe you've been sitting on the fence, you've been been toying with the idea of doing it, but you've not done it. I want to encourage you to do it. Do it. And if you need to contact us, please just look below in this video, and you will see our church details are written there in the description. Contact us. We'll be more than happy to help you, to talk to you. Uh, write to you whatever may be needed. God bless you all.